Welcome to the Great American Collectible Show, seen Wednesdays on the Sports Collectors Daily Facebook page and the Great American Collectibles Facebook page. You can also listen to us on iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Spotify. The Great American Collectibles Show is brought to you by the National Sports Collectors Convention and Sports Collectors Daily. Tonight's headlines are brought to you by Sports Collectors Daily. For all your hobby news, features, and more, go to sportscollectorsdaily.com. And now your host, Tom Zappala and Red Sox Hall of Famer, Rico Petroselli. Hello there. How are you? Oh, not bad. How are you doing, Tom? Celtics, see? Celtics, the, baby. The biggest front runner you have ever seen. Celtics, baby. That's my team. See, the pay, used to wear Patriot stuff, right? <laughs> nah, that's, who? who? That's gone now. Red Sox before them. Red Sox before <laughs> them, last place. I mean, he. all right. Celtics, baby. Celtics, yeah, they're good. They got a great they're team. very good. This team, in my, I, I predict, is going to be better than the 86 team. All right, we'll see. I, we'll see. I'm telling you, this is a great team. Welcome to the Great American Collectible Show, Tom Zappala and my good friend and partner, Red Sox Hall of Famer, Rico Petroselli. Remember, you can watch us on Facebook, YouTube, or listen to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to us on 980 WCAP up here in the Boston area. We have a great show today, Rick. We've got our good friend, Mike Hefner from Leland's. There's one item we're going to talk about. One really? item. Only one item? No, no. We're going to talk oh, about oh, this whole oh. auction, but there's oh, yeah, one that's what I mean. we're going to extract and talk okay. about. Well, that's wonderful. And then we also have Tom Ruggi. No, Tom Ruggi from Destiny yeah, Family of Office. Of course, Tom. We Tom. Good uh, friend. He's a great guy, and we've, we hop on this all the time. You what? Hop. Hop. Who's hopping? Hop. We mean H O P? H A I P. Oh, harp on this. All the time. Excuse me? Yeah, go ahead. Are you laughing? <laughs> yes, hop. I am. Gonna hop. Uh, on uh, your investment portfolio, yeah. uh, your mm-hmm. collection, and Tom's got some great tips on what possibly uh, to do with it. But first, right. our headline Figure card REA to offer the 1914 Baltimore News Babe Ruth in an upcoming auction. Only one of 10 known copies of Babe Ruth's first trading card is coming to auction this month and could sell for $10 million or more. Robert Edward Auctions says it's going to sell the SGC3 example of the 1914 Baltimore News issue in its fall catalog auction set to open on November 17th. I'm not going to get into the specifics. Right. Only know that one of, it's only one of 10 copies. Uh, uh, of Root's first trading card. It's a gorgeous card. And Brian Dwyer is going to be our guest next week on the show. We're going to talk about this. You and John. But uh, you said it's one of ten. Where's the other nine? Uh, This one came uh, out of this one. I don't know. But this one, a lot of private collectors have. But I think this one came out of the Baltimore. I mean, somebody has them. I think this one came out of the Babe Ruth Museum in Baltimore. Anyway, for more information, you can go to sportscollectorsdaily.com. Our good friend Rich Miller and the gang at sportscollectorsdaily.com to uh, learn about the card. All right. Let's bring in our good pal. Just a great guy. Looks good, man. Look at him. What a handsome guy. You know? Mike Hefner from Leland's. How are you, Michael? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. What's going on? First of all, uh, you look great. How's the, how's the child doing? Oh, very, very well. Very well. 
Thankfully, he's uh, he's everyone says he's cute, and uh, thankfully, he takes after his mom. So, <laughs> is he keeping you up a little it, bit at it's night? It's all still? good, keeping me awake at night. <laughs> it is, it's all good though. Just just think of how much younger he's making you, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's the absolute truth. I mean, I feel like I'm uh, I'm 54 now, I feel like I'm 34. So awesome. It's a, it's a F- F- fifty-four. F- we want to get into. We're going to get into a lot of different topics today because you're one of the few guys. You know, we talk about this all the time. You're one of the few uh, uh, guests that we have on. You know, and I can tell you, like Joe Orlando, yourself, uh, 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 Derek, Joe Tomasulo, Brian Dwyer, that we can really talk about anything, and you guys uh, are not afraid to uh, to give your opinion or chat about a specific talk topic. <laughs> Um, so we're going to be all over the place today, but I want to talk about the auction. You've got an auction that's in progress right now, and you've got some great stuff. I'd like to know about the 33 Worldwide Gum Garrick that's signed. Can you tell us a little bit about that card, man? That is an awesome card. To the best of my knowledge, it's, it's pretty fresh. Um, I think it may have been an auction many, many years ago, but uh, it's a beautiful-looking card. Uh, the signature is beautiful. It's the only one known. It's the only one. I shouldn't say known. It's the only one graded. We don't know if there's another known or not, but it's the only one to ever run through PSA. So anybody who needs, you know, is putting together a run of Gehrig cards, which is nearly impossible to do, right. signed, um, would, would need this card. Um, you know, typically the worldwide gum is not worth as much. In this case, the worldwide gum is worth more because it's, it's the only one that's known signed. So it's a, and it's a terrific looking card. It, the card isn't graded, but it is a terrific looking card. Awesome. What do you mean by gum? Worldwide gum is is there gum in there, or is it a gum card, or is it? No, it's a candy card. No. Can you explain the worldwide gum, gum. series? See, yeah, it, 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 explain the worldwide gum series. Half. Oh, we know, well, but the, uh, the worldwide the worldwide. The Go worldwide on. gum was, uh, it was, you know, all baseball cards or most baseball cards in the thirties came with gum or candy or some sort of, some sort of favor for the children. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was, a, that was something to entice them to collect the cards, the gum inside. Yep. So worldwide gum is just a company that produced gum, but they put cards. in Yeah. Their gum packs. Okay. Yeah. No, it's good to, good. Cause I, I used to buy them as a kid and with the gum. the gum. Yeah. The gum. You know, it was like gigantic in your mouth. Well, you do remember what happened once in the studio. Oh, no, don't say anything about that. Yeah. Come on. So oh, see? we had we had Leighton in the studio with us at the old radio station and on camera. And he brought in a 1956 yeah. Topps pack, cello pack, and decided that we were going to open it on the air. And, uh, you know, we're gonna, it was, he was going to have like a break. So Rico is sitting next to me, and he breaks open the pack. And what do you think Rico does? He grabs the gum, shoves it in his mouth, and starts chewing it. Wow, that's what I used to do as a kid. So I see the gum, boom. You, we have it on camera. It I got to dig that out. You disgusting. should have seen the look on his face as he was chewing it. And you literally, I remember, there was a garbage pail in the corner. He jumped out of his seat and you spit it all into the garbage pail. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. I mean, uh, you know, it was a yeah. mold, probably mold in there. It was mold. Horror. Last time, you know, it's better than last time. Last time we opened a pack with Rico, he ate the car. <laughs> At least he ate the gum that time. I was hungry, you know. You got you to take right. what you can get. Half. So yeah. we... We've done a little investigating, and 
with the help of Mr. Petricelli, uh, could, we have an image of a bat that is in your auction. And there it is. Uh, I know you can't see it, but our audience is looking at it right now. And the description says that it's a 1976 U215. Is that what it's called? W215. Ted Williams model. Ted Williams model game used Rico Petricelli bat from his last season playing from the Red Sox. Now, that's probably my last bat. Right. So Rico, after investigating it, has pretty much determined that that bat is, in fact, the last bat that he used as a professional ball player. So we thought that we would share that information with you because your description says it could be. But after, I guess you could tell from the pinta. Oh, yeah. No, I could. That was a, a beautiful bat, and uh, Ted Williams model. I thought maybe something would rub off, <laughs> but then, but uh, yeah, yeah, that was my. I loved that bat. Yeah, Yaz used to use it too. W two fifteen. Your thoughts, Hef? What makes you think, Rico, that it is the last? Is it just the look of the bat? You remember the bat? Yeah, I, I know the model, and I know what I was hitting because. Part of that year I was out. I had gotten uh, uh, hit in the head the year before. It's so funny. I remember that. I don't mean to laugh. (laughs) See? And I had some uh, uh, issues. Some issues. Yeah, no. Equilibrium issues. So uh, I didn't play the whole year. And I remember when I finally got in there from taking medication, that was was the bat. And And it was at the end. Yeah. And and, uh, I'm pretty sure that was it. How about the, uh, the pine tar? Why, why don't you use oh, the pine yeah. tar like George Brett all the way up to the... Uh, no, the pine tar. I, you know, I used pine tar. We didn't use the gloves. You know, we didn't have the gloves. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I used that because my wife liked the smell of it <laughs> when I got home. She, she was sick. Poor girl. So anyway, so, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's, now, that's it. That's let's what let's talk life, about, nice. for a minute, let's talk about... Yeah, that was a this, bad look. See, he, half, you know what's happening here? You guys are both going to force me to bid on that freaking bat tonight. I'm just telling you right now. Because he's going to put the arm on me to, to get the bat for him and his collection. That's what's going to wind up happening. Oh, that would be nice. I, that would make it, it would make an excellent Christmas gift, Tom. I know Rico. that. I know that. And, mm, I love bats. I love the bats. So, cards, boy, now, you know, everything. Let's, but talk, about, let's the talk about the statistics behind the bat. Kind of a no, it's not. That's <laughs> what, not. What kind of a season did you have in 76? It was my last year. And like I said, I was out part of the season because of the problem. Butch Hobson was ready. He had a great year in AAA, and they, they had brought him up. So he and I were kind of, you know, going back and forth. And, um, and Zimmer gave you the word. Yeah, it was spring training, the next spring training, yeah. <clears throat> oh, so you've, you've, you've finished out the season. Yeah, but you didn't have that many at bats that season, or not, did you? Not, not, yeah, not couple that. hundred. Yeah, a couple hundred at bats. Yeah, that's why I know I it pretty much. That's a, in spring training we had different bats, you know, and um, so that's oh man, that's I like cool that. Bat. I keep now, looking. How, at how it. does a bat like that wow. get into the public, Rick? Somebody jump steals in here, it, please. I mean, can I ask you? Did you guys get it from a private consigner, Mike? Or do it you came know? from a consignment, uh, but I don't know the history. I don't know the exact history on it. 
Um, but yeah, that's an interesting question. Like how did, did, um, you know, the bats weren't really, they weren't, especially if they were cracked. I'm not sure if that one's cracked or not. I mean, they were thrown in the garbage back then if they were cracked. But that and, isn't. Uh, how many bats? How many bats do you think you used that season, Rico? I don't know. Uh, not that many because you know I didn't play as and much. And you used a different bat before yeah, you got hurt. I, yeah, right. I used I used to use a U1, a big handle, okay. you know, no knob bat, uh, and uh, then uh, that didn't feel good. So I went to the back to the two W215. And uh, didn't use that many bats. And uh, that was at the towards the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. The W two fifteens, absolutely. That's why I'm saying that's that's probably the last bat. And I bet it's not cracked. Because so how does a bat like that get into oh, the public? Okay, so at the end of the year, we leave everything. Of course, you know your uniforms, your bats. They put them back. So somebody grabs one. Maybe somebody grabs one and uh, gives it or whatever to somebody. And it, it goes around, you know, and it eventually ends up with, uh, with maybe, you know, somebody in, uh, that wants to Could you it. have taken that bat if you wanted to home at the end of the season? Uh, we didn't think of it. I'll tell you the truth. I, I, maybe I could have. I probably could have, but I didn't. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. You yeah. paid you you paid for your own bats, right, Rico? No, 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 no. We got free. Oh, Red Sox were good. Uh, Oakland A's. You had to. <laughs> you broke a bat. You got. You had to give it. Yeah, give it in to get another bat. You're kidding yeah, me. Yeah, Billy Knig uh, was telling us about that. But the Red Sox were good. Red Sox. Yeah, you don't know because yeah, Yaz ordered bat, bats every every other week. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, that's the uh, that's the story behind the bat. Uh, interesting, uh, very, very interesting. All right, uh, Mike Heff, Mike Hefner from Leland's is uh, in studio with us. We are now going to talk about... <laughs> I'm losing my mind, man. Oh, you it's, lost it. It's oh, time for it. our segment, On Deck with Rico. You know he's from New York. We still love him. Shut up. On Deck with Rico Patricelli. <laughs> you know... Who's that kid? Uh, Bra- no. See, he said, even though you're from New York. That's Dave's. Yeah, yeah but what uh, Dave's uh, New York. All right, it's time for it. our segment On Deck with Rico, brought to us right. each week by our good friend Brian Dwyer and the great staff at REA Auctions. Yeah. Don't forget to get your bid in by going to robertedwardauctions.com. That's Robert Edward Auctions for extraordinary results and extraordinary service. And don't forget that Babe Ruth card. All right, this week's question was submitted by a very dear friend of the show Mm. uh, from Florida. Mm -hmm. Uh, He used to be called Staten Island Joe Marino, but now he's called North Palm Beach Joe Marino. Yeah. And here's his question. Rico. Yeah? Being a diehard Yankee fan. Me? No, him. Oh. oh, oh. I personally loved Whitey Ford, Mel Stottlemyre, and Jim Boughton. Your thoughts on the three pitches. Oh, I loved Stottlemyre. I really loved him. What? Mel, all right, so let me get said. Whitey Ford was a pitcher, you know what I mean? Now you see all these kids throwing 95, 97, 98. They're, they're throwers, you know what I mean? This guy could hit the corners, change speeds, sneaky fastball, just a great fielder and a uh, class guy. I, I got two hits off him, <laughs> I think, the first or second time. And George hit George Scott hit one. I told you about that about nine hundred miles off him. But anyway, that was kind of his last couple of years. Great guy was a great pitcher. Mel Stottlemyre 
fortunately, when he first came up, they had the, still had the big guns there, Mandel and all of them, and he, uh, he had some great years. Then they stunk. I mean, after yeah, they were pretty they, bad. For they him. were bad, and then you know he had the, maybe a five hundred, but he was a classy guy, one of the classiest pitchers. You know, if you hit him, you knocked him around, you never see him moaning, groaning, throwing the glove. And then when he had his good days, you know, it was the same. Same thing. Yeah, so it was not like you, if you got a, hit, a bunch of hits off of me, throw at your head. No, he was a classy guy. Bouton, Bouton was a really good <laughs> Bouton. Yeah, Bouton, of course, his book, everybody hated him. Uh, but the book, he was, he was a good he, pitcher. He was a pretty good pitcher for one or two years, well, a couple of years. But um, he, he was out there a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He was. He's a bright guy. He was a bright guy. I mean, uh, and uh, he wrote the book, couple of books, and uh, he did very Bestseller, well. Bestseller. Yeah, you? yeah. Everybody read that book. But, That's like uh, one of the pitching wise, uh, you know, he had some good. Yeah, it wasn't. He wasn't tough or overpowering. You know, you, you can make contact. So Whitey often. obviously was the best. Whitey the was great. Whitey was a great pitcher. <laughs> People don't don't yeah. really. Yeah, you know, he's a hall of famer. You know, uh, just real quickly on uh, Jim Bouton. Uh, when our first book came out, the T206 collection, we did a book signing down in Hartford, Connecticut at one of those vintage baseball tournaments. Oh, yeah. He was pitching for a team. He was 74 years old. Pitch, uh, 73 years old. Ford? No, Jim Bout- Bouton. Oh, yeah. And yeah, he was throwing Bout- knuckleballs, and they couldn't touch him. They yeah. couldn't touch him. Very interesting. All right, let's get back to the auction. A National Association team cards. Tell us about those bad boys. That's a really interesting story because um, just how they were discovered, uh, they were recently discovered. Uh, the woman who consigned them bought them in a, in a bookshop some decade or so ago. Huh. Uh, she wasn't a baseball collector. She just liked old photography. So she bought this album and the album contained these cards. It was only recently that she even realized, because most of the players aren't in uniform, that they were baseball players. <laughs> so this thing was not known until about six months ago. This thing was not even known to exist. Um, a lot of those CDVs in there, uh, cards of visit, I can't even say it. CDVs will say. <laughs> uh, in there have not been uh, ever seen before. Wow. And the ones that have been seen before, there's only one or two examples of each known. So uh, this is a monumental uh, discovery when it comes to 19th century baseball. Good to know. Yeah, yeah. I read a lot of National Association. Uh, oh, they, that's good stuff. They were the big guys. <clears throat> but anyway, yeah, I, uh, I want to ask you about the uh, – Signed cards. We're talking about that because I, I recall when I played, uh, the kids wanted you to sign cards, but, you know, I don't think they were that popular. Uh, people it, frowned upon them, didn't they, Hef, at the beginning? Signed I, cards? I mean, collectors. Collect, yeah. Sign, yeah, signed cards were really, um, you know, signed cards are so rare because typically back in the day, people wanted you to sign their program they didn't necessarily carry a card of Rico to, to Fenway Park. Yeah, for yeah. The song. They would have a program in hand. Maybe they'd have a publicity photo that they bought at the souvenir stand. So sign cards are, are actually pretty rare. Uh, people sent away, sent out sign cards. I don't know if you ever received a packet in the mail of, of things to sign Rico and yeah. somebody included cards. But they are rare because it was also, like you said, Tom, it was frowned upon because it, it was believed then that the – that putting ink on a card devalued it. 
So people would always prefer to get something other than a card signed. And just until recently, it was uh, a Hank Aaron card, uh, rookie card signed by Hank Aaron was, was, was almost frowned upon because the value of the card unsigned was so that. much more. Wow. Yeah. Now we're realizing that the value and the value of the card is, is, you know, signed because it's so much rarer than just a regular card. The value is so much more because it's so much rarer. So but, I'm, you know, the, the, the players of today, it's tough to get their autograph. A lot of them won't sign because they, I don't know, maybe they think they're going to sell them probably. Right? Well, that's, I think that's part of the thing now. I mean, uh, it, have, it's tough to get them I to mean, sign. A, a lot of the signed cards by the kids today, that's all done by design through the card company, correct? Mm-hmm. So it's all done through the card yes. company. Yes. Oh, okay. yes, that's done by the card company. Oh. And, uh, and some of those cards aren't even signed on the card. Those are stickers that the players sign. You know, in, no in, in mass, and oh. then they put it on the card. Yeah. All right, listen, Mike Heff is <laughs> in the studio, not in the studio, but he's on the show with us today. Mike Heffner from Leland's, you're going to be with us for the whole hour. Later on, we oh, have great. Tom Ruggi. Ruggi. I love saying Ruggi, but it's Tom Ruggi from Destiny Family Office. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's going to be another Gax moment. Hang in there, we'll be right back. Since 1996, Brian Drent and the staff at Denver's Mile High Card Company have led the charge in the collectibles hobby. Mile High is a full-service dealer specializing in buying and selling cards and offers a competitive consignment program for all collectors. Whether it be their computerized want list service, appraisals, or auction services, Mile High has it all. If you've been searching for a company with a selection of high-grade vintage 1888 to 1970 baseball cards and memorabilia that shares your passion, aim high, mile high. Go to milehighcardco.com or call 303-840-2784 for more information. This is Brian Drent, president of Mile High Card Company. Is your sports card and memorabilia collection properly insured? For easily replaced personal property, homeowner's insurance is all most people need. But for prized possessions that you may have spent a lifetime collecting, it doesn't go nearly far enough. Collectibles Insurance Services has been insuring for over 50 years. They offer a full range of protection and a $0 deductible at an affordable rate with no appraisals required. I know because they insure my collection. If you have a minute, go to collectinsure.com and learn more about insuring your personal card or memorabilia collection. Hi, this is Dan from Memory Lane Auctions here to remind you that the renowned Memory Lane Collectibles Company has served as a beacon of light to the collecting community for the past several decades. Indeed, folks, it has been our utmost privilege and pleasure to provide the most enthusiastic collectors with an abundance of the finest sports cards and memorabilia for America's most coveted sports personalities via our world-class auctions. Whether you choose either a private sale transaction or the auction route, Memory Lane cordially invites you to reach out to us to maximize the value of your prized possessions. Also, it is not just sales that we pride ourselves on being the best of the rest, because if you are seeking a particular keepsake for your esteemed gathering, we will be relentless in our quest to find that special piece to fulfill your collecting dreams. So no time to wait. Reach out to us today for the purposes of capitalizing on our unparalleled marketing capabilities. Simply pick up the phone and dial 877-606-5263. That's 877-606-LANE. Or find us on the World Wide Web at www.memorylaneinc.com. 
Now is the time for your valued consignment to ultimately become another one of Memory Lane's record-setting prices. How would you like to own the bat that was used by your favorite player when he hit that towering home run or game-winning base hit? Now look no further than JT Sports, specializing in the sale and authentication of professional game-used bats. As the official authenticators of professional model game-used bats for PSA DNA, JT Sports will guarantee the authenticity of any bat purchased from them. JT Sports also buys and sells game-worn uniforms, gloves, and baseball equipment. The unique quality of the collectible is what JT Sports is all about. Give them a call at 609-487-8003 or check them out at GameUseBats.com. Okay, it is time for another Gax Moment brought to us each week by our good friend Paul Borges and PB Collectibles, your neighborhood card shop. Go to pbcollectibles.com to find that special card or piece of memorabilia. When Ellen and I wrote this book, The 100 Greatest Baseball Autographs, along with our good friend Joe Orlando, uh, John Mallory, and uh, Steve Grad. There was one player that really piqued my interest. Um, Hall of Famer John Clarkson was one of the most successful pitchers in the early years of the game. Uh, Clarkson won 56 games in one season. He had four, four, 41, uh, four 40 win seasons and three 31 seasons, won 328 games, 2.81 earned run average, 1,900 strikeouts. A phenomenal pitcher for that time period. Obviously, he's in the Hall of Fame. But if you're looking for an authentic autograph of John Clarkson, good luck. Because when he played, very few pl- ballplayers signed. PSA has never certified a Clarkson autograph and considers it actually the toughest autograph in the hobby to find. Why? After his career ended in 1894, Clarkson had a nervous breakdown and spent the last years of his life in various sanitariums. The last four or five were spent here in Massachusetts at the McLean Hospital. Here is where it gets a little interesting. McLean, being one of the oldest hospitals in the country, has a records department dating back to 1811. From what we have gathered... They have just about all of their records dating back to 1811 stored in a warehouse. Is it possible that uh, they have one signature of John Clarkson sitting in a cabinet or box somewhere in their archives? If so, according to the hobby experts, the value of that signature would be possibly worth at least a million dollars. HIPAA law presents us from going any further, but if you're a descendant of John Clarkson, you may want to pick up the phone. I did. Spoke to one of the records department people at McLean last week. And in fact, that signature very well could be in a warehouse sitting somewhere. They're intrigued. Obviously, if they do find a signature, it's probably not going to go anywhere. But the fact remains that a signature of John Clarkson may very well exist 
and we're going to keep you posted. That's another GAX moment. Okay, we are chatting with our good friend Mike Hefner from Leland's. Uh, Mike, I want to talk about grading. <clears throat> I want to talk about uh, PSA, SGC. Uh, it seems to me, and I could be wrong, that SGC on vintage cards really is taking a position uh, with the grading, and hobbyists seem to be gravitating towards SGC on the vintage and PSA on the modern. Am I wrong there? <clears throat> I don't know if there's any rhyme or, or reason, Tom. Um, you know, I, I like, you know, obviously have uh, an affiliation with PSA, and uh, I have great friends at SGC, and I think both do a really good job at what they do. Some people like might like the holders, the look of the holders better. Uh, some people, it might be a convenience thing. Um, I think they both do a good job. I think SGC on the, uh, on the modern stuff, uh, is a little bit behind PSA. Yeah. And I think they might even tell you that, uh, because PSA has been just doing more of that stuff, more quantity and, and, uh, but on the vintage stuff, you know, the, the, the SGC stuff, uh, is certainly, um, in line with the PSA, uh, the modern, I think PSA has a little bit of an advantage on but the, the, the old stuff, yeah, the vintage uh, SGC is right up there. Really? I find that uh, very, very interesting. Um, is the modern card market, is it cooling off a little bit versus vintage, or are they running neck and neck, in your opinion? And does, does, have you guys, have you guys uh, increased your, uh, your, consi your modern consignments? <clears throat> Our modern consignments have actually decreased uh, because the values are down. Everything modern basically has has gone down. Anything post, uh, you know, 1990, I would say, uh, post 2000 for sure, has gone down in value over the last year. Um, so, you know, we anticipated this. The stuff was too was too high. Right. So it adjusted like all markets do. And uh, now we're doing more vintage again. Before we had a, a strong presence with the uh, modern, and we still like the modern, but it's just come down a little bit. They will come back. Over the years, they will come back. Of course, they'll come back. Well, I mean, so it's. But you've been you've been uh, touting you've been touting modern uh, ultra modern for the last uh, two years. Wait a minute. Yeah, you know why? Because you need these younger people to continue. This industry to keep it going, they'll be collectors as, when they get a little, little older, making even you know more, making right, so, some money and, and being able to buy the vintage maybe. All right, so I have, I'm going to ask you this question then, and I, I think I asked this question to I think it was Derek or or uh, or Brian Dwyer a, a while back. Mm -hmm. So, with what Rico is saying about vintage and modern. Pre-19, I mean, uh, old judge cards, for some reason, uh, the commons are not as popular or as valuable as, for instance, uh, T205s, T206s. I could be wrong, but overall, I mean, as far as interest to the collectors. Going forward, uh, vintage cards like the T205s, T206s, 33 Gaudis, 41 play ball, as the... Uh, baby boomers like myself kind of fade into the sunset. 
Uh, those cards are going to be less attractive to collectors and hobbyists as opposed to cards right now from when they were kids, like the 70s and 80s, the George mm-hmm. Bretts, uh, all the of 50s. those cards. Well, the 60s, the 70s. Yeah, all right. Are those cards going to become more popular at some point in time as the baby boomers kind of fade into the sunset? I would say that the, 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 the turn of the century stuff has come over. The, it's, it's made it over the hump. Um, it's always going to be good because there's such a limited amount of it out there. The, the newer stuff, um, you know, the 80s stuff, we're seeing it now. Yeah. You know, Ricky Henderson rookies, uh, Tony Gwynn rookies, stuff like that. That stuff is really picked up and it's still pretty hot. But uh, once you get into the 90s, it was just so mass produced. There's so many of them. That's and, true. Um, yeah. you know, I don't see I don't foresee a big boom on 90s stuff or early 2000s stuff just because so much was made. Mm. So well, look, uh, but I think T205s, T206s, old judges will always have a, a place in the hobby. Good to know. I, I can't believe that the, the 50s uh, are not more popular than they well, are. Well, they are. The 52s and 50s. Well, I mean, uh, there's you know, some, there the, some, the, the yeah, Aaron's right. in them. I mean, uh, I'm talking really. Are you talking about whole you're not talking about players you're talking about like the 56 or 58 tops collection um yeah 52s 54s well, 52s are very popular yeah well 50, that's right. 54s well, that's a good example 54s yeah i mean in in that area you know when aaron mays and all these great yeah, players I mean, but rico but if you isolate those particular players their cards have a lot of value but if you take the the, the entire set itself I kind of agree with you. Hef, is that true? A, 50, a, a complete 54 top set has nowhere. I mean, shouldn't it have more interest for the, like the common players, for instance? Uh, I think people have gravitated sort of away from set collecting. There's still people that collect them, and I, I, I think it's a great thing. But I think people have, have, have gravitated a little bit away from it and going after more rookie cards, second-year cards, uh, you know, the Mickey Mantles putting together a run of Mickey Mantles, putting together a run of Hank Aarons instead of collecting that entire 1954 set. Interesting. When Tom Ruggie comes on, I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to ask this question to both of you. I'm going to ask you the question now. Last week we were talking on the show when, with, with JM. Uh, I can't remember who the, uh, who the guest was, to be honest with you. Oh, there was Joe Tomasulo. We were talking about a, a, a personal portfolio of a collector. And I've always, my personal collection, I look at as part of my investment portfolio. It's no different than my 401ks, IRAs, any other investments that we have. I have a pool of money that I have put aside that I use for my collection, and that is part of my investment portfolio. Is there ever going to be a day that we see, like we're a, for instance, a financial advisor will actually advise a collector or a, a hobbyist to make recommendations and it becomes part of their investment portfolio. Because the return of my investment over the last 30 years mm-hmm. has so outpaced you know, just my, yeah. my, my, uh, yeah. my regular investments. My return on investment has been off the charts compared to Especially my, uh, now with yeah. the markets volatile and all that stuff, you know. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Hef? I think the day is now, Tom. I, I see it. There, there are actually funds, as we speak, being put together 
that uh, involve sports collectibles, other collectibles. This has already been done with paintings and fine artwork. Right. So it's now being done with collectibles. Their funds being put together. So um, the the day is now. There, the, you know, this stuff is being uh, used. It's an asset class now. So um, you know, and I agree with you a hundred percent. Like uh, you know, I. I never, you know, Leland's has become my hobby and my business has become my collection because I've made more money on my collection than I have on Leland's. Well, you know, so I was going to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to put you on the spot, Hef. I didn't want to put you on the spot, but I was in your house. I was in your home. You were nice enough to invite us in, uh, Ellen and I, and it was jaw dropping. It was jaw dropping, your collection. So my, my question to you is, I mean, I would assume that that collection is a huge part of your, your entire portfolio. I mean, it has to be. It, yeah, it, it always has been. And, and we're just, you know, I consider myself so blessed. And, you know, I know a lot of other collectors think this way, but boy, I mean, how great is it? How many people can actually say that their, their passion uh, turned into something that made them a lot of money? I mean, that's so rare in life to find that. And I am just so blessed, you know, a lot of it was luck. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm fortunate and blessed. And I think a lot of other collectors out there uh, probably feel the same. I would say, yeah. Rick, honestly, and he's a friend, mm-hmm. his collection is going to be in the top five in the country. Wow. It's, really? I, well, I, I don't know about that. I have, I'm telling <laughs> well, you. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of other people that are up there that we know about, but I'm saying you're, you're right up there. You're right up there. It's a nice collection, but I, don't, I wouldn't put it at that level. You know, I, know, I don't want to. Get some goddamn know. nice electric guitars, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, would you say most of the auction the guys that run the auction? No. Oh, okay. No, a few. He's, he's saying here. Joe Orlando doesn't have a massive collection. I didn't say massive, but they were collectors. They're all collectors. Serious collectors. I, I know, but I mean, I can tell yes, some yeah. of them were, but there are collectors. The guys that we know, other than Mike and maybe one or two others, they're not like Marshall Fogel type collections. Um, yeah, collection, yeah, yeah. Uh, collectors. I mean, they collect like we collect. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, you're not talking massive, Real massive series, right? uh, yeah. collections. Hey, Mike. It's my whole life, you know, that it's my whole life in a capsule there. So. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, you know it's great. Everybody would love to work at something that they love. How many people are, you know, and, and you know unhappy so, at their job? And Hef, you really, your, your collection really is a, a reflection of your love of certain things. And I'm going to use your wrestling collection yeah. as an example. He's got, I walked into really? a room. He's got the costumes of just about, is there anybody you don't have? He's got the wrestling costumes of just about the old every, guys? Every wrestler you can imagine. No kidding. Wow. Am I wrong? I, really I mean, it. it's pretty close. I, I get as many as I possibly can. That's my real, that's, a, that's my passion. It's greater than baseball right now is, is wrestling. And I had the honor of when I walked into his house, and I have a beautiful picture framed at my home of wearing Randy, in a headlock. Randy Macho, Macho Man's <laughs> Savage's hat. No kidding. And, and I was going to ask picture. you what the yeah, what's your favorite? favorite or it's a good question. Thank you. Uh, I think my favorite, and, th- and you might be familiar with this. Do you remember Buddy Rogers? Oh sure. Um, yeah. Uh, Rico. Yeah. Is that geez. name ring a bell? Oh Buddy yeah. Rogers. Yeah. I have the, his only surviving. Uh, jacket that he wore into the ring so oh, that, that's probably my favorite so do you ha- remember him he had a long long illustrious career yeah, yeah i mean guys, guys like uh like 
Killer Kowalski or, or uh, any of those guys Bruno back there. Bruno San Martino? Yeah, or San Martino. They just wore wrestling tights, trunks. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any of those? Oh, I, I, I'll, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I do have a lot of those. Yeah. I, I mean, have I, uh, several complete outfits from Killer Kowalski. He wore the tights and the trunks over the tights. And yeah, also wore, awesome. sometimes that's wear awesome. a, a vest you know, of some sort. So, yeah. Great was, stuff. That's yeah, great. That is. That's uh, yeah. Yeah, we are going to do uh, once we get to Florida. We are definitely going to do another wrestling show, Mike, because we, we got so many, so many responses from viewers. It'll be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, we what? just brought back a lot of memories. Look at the shows on TV. The places are, are packed. I know they still They're are. They're packed. I mean, I wow. This is uh, you know, it's incredible. All right, Hef. I've asked everybody the question over the last five or six weeks. What do you th- again? I have personal feelings about this. Uh, I use the word influences. Everybody, that the word influences is a hot, hot t- a topic right now. And I go on YouTube and I see influences making recommendations to hobbyists about what cards to buy, what cards not to buy. Some of these influences have, you know, 500,000 hits. I suspect mm. that some of these influences are on the payrolls of some of the big companies and are kind of trying to manipulate the market. Do you think there's any truth to that in your opinion? I think there's 100% truth in that. And I think some of the influencers uh, are actually hoarding a lot of the things that they're pushing. So I guess the moral of the story, Tom, is don't listen to all the influencers. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, it, it's just like uh, it's just like the old days of shop at home. Uh, you know, if you bought stuff at shop at home, uh, most likely you're sitting on a pile of junk. So I have a grandson. I'm not saying all the influencers are pushing junk, but they're they're pushing stuff, and they have a vested that they have a vested. I have a grandson. Uh, we have about two minutes left before we take a break. I have a grandson who's ten years old, and he is really into the hobby. He's he's over the last year collecting modern and ultra modern cards. And he's on YouTube, and he watches a couple of these guys, and he calls me Nanu. That's the Italian word for grandfather. And he'll say, Nanu, what do you think about this card? And it's a, you know, pick somebody. A Fernando Tatiste sign prism uh, with with a dot up in the top left-hand corner of the card, one of one, blah, 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 blah. What do you think? And I say, where did you see it? On YouTube, such and such a person said that we should buy this card. And I've, I've... I said, Johnny, listen to me very closely. Don't watch those shows and don't pay attention to those guys. That's that's what I'm trying to drum into his head because I think it's a real slap in the face to the hobby. I could be wrong, and I know there are probably some influences out there that are actually legit and really have a love for the hobby, but I think there's some unsavory characters out there. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We come back. Tom Rucci is going to be joining us. I want you to meet Tom, uh, Mike, because... I think you guys have a lot in common. Uh, we're going to talk about the investment part of collecting, and then we're going to get back into your um, hot, uh, auction. <laughs> Hang in there. We'll be right back. Pristine Auction is a family-owned and operated online auction specializing in autographed memorabilia, sports cards, coins, art, and collectibles. Since their founding in 2010, they've grown to two facilities in Phoenix, Arizona, totaling over 60,000 square feet. Jared Cavalier and an incredible staff of over 150 team members serve a very large customer base and enjoy every minute of it. By working with leading authentication companies, Pristine ensures all items are 100% authentic. 
In addition, third-party authenticators regularly travel to Pristine Auction to provide authentication services on-site. Pristine Auction strives to operate its business in a way that's honoring to God, their families, and their customers. With a strong focus on speed, quality, and premier customer service, their mission is to be the leading online auction for every level of collector and fan. Pristine also works for Hope Sports and Identity Hoops International, traveling to Mexico to build houses for the less fortunate. Pristine Auction offers several online auction formats with thousands of auctions ending each day. For more information, go to pristineauction.com. That's Pristine Auction, the best in the business. If you're a discerning collector interested in owning the most important pieces in the hobby, look no further than Leland's Auctions. The original sports auction and appraisal house, Leland's was established in 1985 by legendary pioneer founder Joshua Leland Evans. And today, President Mike Hefner carries on the tradition. From the Tom Brady card and memorabilia collection, to the famed Boston Garden Auction, to high-end card auctions from every major sport. Leland's has always maintained the highest standards. Go to Leland's.com and get your bid in. That's Leland's, the hobby's leading sports auction house for four decades. It's often been said that championships are won on the practice field, and world records come only to those willing to work harder than everybody else. Heritage Auctions is the world's largest collectibles auctioneer, because we believe that becoming the best is only an invitation to the challenge of remaining the best. This requires the skills of the hobby's top experts, capable of identifying and maximizing value for our consigners. It requires the most visited website in the industry, courting a global audience of collectors over a million and a half strong. It requires a dedicated press department that expands our global reach far beyond the entrenched hobby marketplace. It's hard work, but a simple premise. Present the finest collectibles to the largest population of potential buyers, and world records will come. We invite all listeners to put the unmatched power of Heritage Auctions to work for you. Auction evaluations are always free, and our commission-based fee structure ensures that our interests are always aligned. The highest possible price for your collectibles. There will always be new world records to chase, so let's chase them together. Visit our website at ha.com and request your no-obligation review today. Hi, this is Dan from Memory Lane Auctions, here to remind you that the renowned Memory Lane Collectibles Company has served as a beacon of light to the collecting community for the past several decades. Indeed, folks, it has been our utmost privilege and pleasure to provide the most enthusiastic collectors with an abundance of the finest sports cards and memorabilia for America's most coveted sports personalities via our world-class auctions. Whether you choose either a private sale transaction or the auction route, Memory Lane cordially invites you to reach out to us to maximize the value of your prized possessions. Also, it is not just sales that we pride ourselves on being the best of the rest, because if you are seeking a particular keepsake for your esteemed gathering, we will be relentless in our quest to find that special piece to fulfill your collecting dreams. So no time to wait. Reach out to us today for the purposes of capitalizing on our unparalleled marketing capabilities. Simply pick up the phone and dial 877-606-5263. That's 877-606-LANE 
or find us on the World Wide Web at www.memorylaneinc.com. Now is the time for your valued consignment to ultimately become another one of Memory Lane's record-setting prices. Hey, I'm Mike Petroselli. If your company is looking for the best in marketing and promotional items, you'll hit a home run with Petroselli Marketing. With over 8,000 suppliers and 650,000 imprint-ready items, we can get your company the visibility it needs to get your maximum exposure. Whether it be office promotions, wearables, automotive, sports items, and everything in between, Petroselli Marketing can do it all. Our design staff will even work with you from concept to delivery and customize your products. At Petroselli Marketing Group, we will get your brand in front of your audience. Contact us at info at PetroselliMKT.com or call us at 603-880-3202. That's Petroselli Marketing, where no dream is impossible. Hey, for the best on-time service and new ideas for your next project, give Petroselli Marketing Group a call. It's actually at 800-264-4294 or go to their website at PetroselliMKT.com. Now, we have clients all over the country, so it doesn't matter where you are. They will uh, get, get the stuff from you on time. Wheatland Auction Services has another great auction opening for bidding. Join in and celebrate Wheatland's end-of-year auction, offering more than 860 lots of vintage and current sports card and memorabilia lots, just in time for the holidays. A great selection of graded rookie cards from all sports, including 55 Colfax, 55 Clementi. Graded rookie cards, including Stan Musial, Ernie Banks, Hank Aaron, Bob Gibson, and many more. Mickey Mantle and Jackie Robinson highlight the vintage cards lots. There is a 1951 Bowman Mantle PSA 3 is going to be uh, it's up for auction. Uh, huge, huge selection of uh, autographed baseballs of Williams, Griffey Jr., bunch of them. Current era in-demand sports cards, including two, 2017 tops now, Shoei Otani, a BGS 10. 1940s and 80s, up to 1980s, vintage complete sets. There's so much more to see. Visit their website at wheatlandauctions.com to view all lots. And the bidding ends on December 3rd. Yeah. Well, here's another great show. East Coast Sports Marketing and Hunter Auctions are pleased to present the Philadelphia Sports Collectors Show, The Philly Show. From Friday, December 1st to Sunday, December 3rd, held at the Greater Philadelphia Expo Center, Hall A&E, 100 Station Avenue, Oaks, Pennsylvania, 19456. Shop their expanded 100,000 square foot show floor with over 250 of your favorite hobby dealer booths of sports collectibles. Heaven, oh, from the 1800s to present day. Major sports auction houses and third-party grading and authentication companies are on hand to assist your collection needs. The Philly Show is family-friendly, and all kids 10 under get in for free. Autographed guests to include Philadelphia's Phillies fan favorite 2008 World Series MVP 
Cole Hamels, boy, he was a heck of a pitcher. Eagles greats like uh, Brian Dawkins, Randall Cunningham, Ron Jaworski, Harold Carmichael, and many more. For more information, go to thephillyshow.com. Remember, since 1975, The Philly Show is where it all started. All right, we have Tom Ruggi in from Destiny Family Office. I think you guys have met. Tom, say hi to Mike. Mike, say hi to Tom. Hi. Tom, uh, you know. Tom, Mike, and Everybody else? We've been we've Joe, been, say hello we've to been Chrissy. chatting. Chrissy, and, say hello to Tom. Oh, right, excuse enough. me. All right, all right. Uh, we've been chatting, and uh, I don't know if you, you caught any of our conversation in the past, but uh, recently uh, you made a presentation uh, at a collector's auction, and you have a, a, a whole business model of what we talked about regarding investments in the hobby. Why don't you tell us about your, your talk, and then I want to discuss your scorecard. Yeah, actually, uh, Tom, the, the talk was was really centered around the scorecard and, and where the the scorecard came from is is my own brainchild of to your discussions earlier, my personal collection that I, I, I used to, uh, you know, tell my wife that I was, quote unquote, investing 10 to 20 percent of our investable assets into collectibles. But but I, I did that just to kind of get her off my butt for <laughs> continuing to buy stuff. And, and and although, you know, I did look at it from an investment eye, you know, the 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 recent spike. And I must say the recent being the last 10 year spike in the in the uh, collectibles industry, uh, you know, to, to Mike's point has has made my collection, um, a, a very valuable piece of my overall estate. And uh, as I started thinking about it, you know, being in the wealth management business for over 30 years, I realized I had a problem. I got, I've, I've got a problem of a wife that not only doesn't know anything about my collection, but frankly, doesn't care about my collection. My kids don't know anything and don't care. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started down the path of, what do I need to do to collect, to, to, or not to, to collect, but to maintain the integrity of what I've built up? And so if, if I get hit by the proverbial bus today, make sure that my family has a plan or a place to go to to um, help e- extract the best value for the collection. And yeah. so from that came a, a scorecard of 10 different areas that I believe um, I, I've, I've walked through this entire process myself still tweaking it and trying to make it better, but uh, it, it, it basically is a roadmap of what you should be looking at if you've built up a substantial collection. I'm going to go through it real quickly. So basically, uh, if I may, uh, this, is, this is great. I mean, it really mm. is. It's for people to kind of look at the mindset, and then you can, you can circle where you feel that you fit in, Look at your ideal score, and then Tom will tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are, the, these are the, the, the topics. Acquisition, documentation, valuation, insurance protection, yeah. storage, security, family awareness, estate planning, transition via gifts while living and or at death, and sale of collections uh, of the collection while living and or death. Now, Tom, how does the scorecard work to a collector, a guy like me? What do I have to do? Yeah, so so the way it was developed mimics a, a scorecard I have on the wealth management side. And so what the idea is, is to go through each of those 10 areas and, you know, realistically assess where are you. And, you know, it's, it's a rating scale. 
it's it's verbal, as you mentioned, Tom, but it's effectively a rating scale from one to ten. And I think in most cases, you you the the, the idea would be a ten across the board. And if you currently score yourself a four or five or a six on acquisition, for example, you go through the ten score where you are today, but then you go back through and score. The way I look at it is, is, is if I were sitting here a year from today, realistically, what would I like my score to be? And effectively, it's a gap analysis. So it, it, it provides you insight as to, hey, what do I need to do to properly update the valuation of, of my collection? And can I set myself on a path to do that in the next 12 months? Or is, is, is my collection properly insured, which kind of goes hand in hand with valuation? And, and what do I need to do over the next 12 months so that I, I handle that? So that's that's effectively the purpose. Most collectors probably don't know the things that should be covered. That, because it's a great idea, you know, to, I don't know, give you a call or go to your website. But uh, Well, no, I was going to ask you, though, Tom, does this, does this whole uh, component – uh, is this only geared for people that have multi-million dollar collections, or how about a guy that has a collection worth a couple of hundred grand, three, four hundred thousand bucks? Is 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 he geared for something like this? I think if it's a meaningful part of somebody's overall net worth, you know, it's all relative. Whether you're worth a half a million dollars or you're worth, you know, fifty million dollars. I, I think it's all relative. So if 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 you have a couple hundred thousand dollar collection and it's a very meaningful part of your net worth, I think the process still makes a lot of sense. I think. Hey, Hef, what do you? Actually, go ahead. Go ahead, Rico. Yeah, well, I was going to ask. Mike, jump in. By the way, if you yeah, have questions, yeah, uh, you know, if uh, what your feeling is on it. Oh, I think it's a great, a great, a great thing Tom has going because uh, there's a lot of, uh, and it makes me think. It should make all collectors think because insurance. You know, I just went through something with insurance and realized that I was way underinsured. Um, you know, I have the, the little one now and I, I wonder, you know, what's going to happen uh, when I'm no longer here. So these are all questions that you need to answer before it's too late. So what Absolutely. Tom has going it's on like there will. is uh, something yeah. that people don't like to think about. They don't want to think about, but they have to. Have to yeah. So Tom, if I have a multi-million dollar collection, uh, which by the way, I don't, but if I have a multi-million dollar collection, um, and I have a trust already set up. Would you help me uh, put, you know, add this to my trust? Yes, it, it, it's interesting the, the kind of the crossroads between my two passions. I mean, you know, collecting has been my passion since I was seven years old. I'm 55 years old, so been doing it a long, long time. Oh and of course, I've, I've been in business over 30 years. What I, what I've realized, Tom, as I've gone through this process is. There, there could be some intersection, and I'll just use Mike as an example. I mean, th this might be a great tool for Mike, but if, if I were working with him, there might be some intersection on on what I can do on the wealth management side, but that may or may not be there. And and so what I, I've really come to the conclusion of, of what I've put together and directionally where I'm going is, is really to be a resource to people and provide resources. So for example, on, on the acquisition, we're, we're constantly building a, a, a resource guide of if somebody's looking to acquire things, you know, what are the various auction houses? What are the specialties of those auction houses? What's the contact information? 
Same with the insurance protection, you know, listing multiple insurance companies. So, so again, what I'm really looking to do is, is for whether you've got 200,000 collection or a $200 million collection is, is to be a resource. His name is uh, Tom Ruggi, Destiny Family Office. Tom, we've got to get you on as a guest host so we can do an entire show on, uh, on, on what you're all about, because I think it would be very, very effective, and I think it would be just great, great Absolutely. information for, for a hobbyist. Michael, yeah, when, does your, uh, when does your auction end? This coming Saturday, um, so people need to start bidding if they haven't bid already. Uh, uh, this Saturday at ten o'clock. You guys are killing me. You're going to make me bid on that bet. You're going to make well, me bid I've on got the damn to, bet. I give you fifty bucks right now for the bet. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's at. I think it's at around eight hundred already. Right you know now. something? I'm going Kidding. to bid on it. Oh and what we're going to do is this. I know we have about thirty seconds left. We're going to. I'm going to bid on the bet. When we get okay. to Florida, we are going to have Rico just promised me. During a commercial break, he's going to bring in some memorabilia. I have a couple of pieces of great Red Sox memorabilia. We're going to do a fundraiser, probably at Boston's on the beach, yeah, maybe for the Jimmy Fund or well, a really something, we'll a, something that, a, a nice yeah. organization. We're going right. to do a charity auction. With that being yeah. said, Tom, I want your promise guys. right now that you're going to do a full show with us. Yes. I'll absolutely do a full show. And, and Mike, I've got a few bids in your auction. And, and in fact, I, I actually had the... Uh, the opportunity to buy the Garrett card from your consigner uh, before he listed it with you. But uh, mm. I certainly hope it, it goes well, and, and I will probably bid on that as well. So I'm a, I'm a big uh, sports card autograph collector. collector so. Right. Good to know. All right, hey, guys, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks. Love you guys both. Have fun. Great. Good, take, good, show. good luck with the auction. Yep. Tom, let's keep yeah. in touch. And to our viewers and listeners, thank you so much for the support. Yep. We have been overwhelmed uh, it's been unbelievable. I know. It's been this great is people. year number eight for us, man. Wow. Year number eight. With that being said, again, thanks for your support and Thank happy you. collecting. Take care, guys. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.